0: Uh, Greetings and welcome to another episode of Reverend G's Words of Encouragement I am delighted that you decided to join me today I got a quick word for you and then I'll be out of your way So I'm just going to go straight to my subject and tell you that today's subject is God is good Now, before I get to any of the formalities, I can relate to that God is good because he has blessed me in so many ways, so many times, and so many different aspects that I can't even begin to tell you. So I got to get that out before I get to the formality of the manuscript that is for me. So if I got a witness out there that can say God is good all the time and all the time, God is good. Amen and amen. Now, let's get to the formalities of today's sermon about God is good, and I'd like to start off by uh, by this introduction. In his book, Liberating Ministry from Success Syndrome, uh, R. Kent Hughes tells of a dark night of the soul that he went through and how the Lord brought him out. Kent Hughes has been groomed for success. It was no surprise that he was chosen to plant a new church. Expectations were so high that there were whispers that his new church would soon outgrow the mother church. But several years later, there was very little signs of life, growth or fruit. In a moment of weakness, Kent said to his wife, Barbara, God has called me to do something he hasn't given me the gift to accomplish. Therefore, God is not good. Barbara assured him that she still believed in the goodness of God. She encouraged him to hold on to her faith for the night. She had enough faith to believe for both of them. What do you hold on to when life causes you to question the goodness of God? Let me encourage you to hold fast to God's unchanging word, his love and his power, and to hold on to this verse. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights of whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Or can I get a witness? And that's James, the first chapter, verse one. Sorry, first chapter of verse 17. The recipients of this letter from James were undergoing trials of various kinds. They needed wisdom to understand their trials and respond to them appropriately. Indeed, both indeed both misunderstanding and mishandling trials were both problems for James readers. They needed to know that God uses trials, to tests, the genuineness of our faith, and to nurture our faith to maturity. Because they did not understand this, they were failing to see the true reason why the test of faith. Their trials were becoming temptations to sin. Some were even accusing God of a divine conspiracy in which God was using their trials to set them up for sin. In James 1, 13, 18, James addresses this matter of God and the case of mistaken identity. In verses 13 and 15, James argues that God is a holy God that never sends temptations or sins into our lives. This is in verses 16 and 18. James argue that God is a good God and that only sends good and perfect gifts from above. In a clear, Graphic and powerful term James makes the point here that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Amen somebody and we need to defend and stand on that ground as we recognize that God is truly good Now let's talk about the goodness of God and uh, defend it. Do not be deceived my beloved brothers and sisters James 1 and 16 this verse is a warning that acts as a bridge between what James says about the nature of temptation in verse 13 and 15 and the character of God in verses 17 and 18. Both ideas are don't miss it now, both ideas are closely connected. There's an insidious connection between misunderstanding God's ways and indicting God's character. Uh, Let me say that again. There is an insidious connection between misunderstanding God's ways and indicting God's character. So James issues a word of reprimand with a word of affection. Let's talk about the word of admonition. Uh, James commands, do not uh, be deceived. Do not err. Do not be misled. The Greek word means to stray or wander away from the truth, safety, or virtue. It is the picture of one who is on a journey and is led astray so that he or she does not reach their destination. It is a picture of a sheep that wanders off from the shepherd and the flock becomes lost. It is the picture of a ship that drifts off course and becomes lost at sea. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be lost. I want to stay on my destination because I want to serve God. I want to do what God has called me to do no matter how it hurts no matter who dislikes me no matter who likes me i just want to do god's will james it here to admonish his readers who who hold to a wrong view about god's character purpose and his way his, his concern is more than a simple failure of judgment it is a deviation from the truth so james command do not be deceived this command is a grammatical emphasis that forbids something that is already in progress. Literally, James says, stop being deceived. Genesis 3 records uh, God's confrontation of Eve after her uh, and Adam's sin. Then the Lord, the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. That's in Genesis 3 chapter and the 13th verse. My dear brothers and sisters, do not be, be deceived. In this world where we are bombarded from every side, from every angle, from our cell phones, to our desktop, to our cars, wherever we might be, uh, it's sometimes easy to veer our path, but I want to encourage you today, do not be deceived, stay focused on the word of God. This is an ongoing work of the enemy of our soul. He seeks to deceive us, but Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. James 8, 31-32 I love being free, and I want to be set free by the truth in the word of God. Now let's talk about the word of affection. For verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Notice how James blends both sharpness and tenderness as he issues this warning with love, addressing his readers as my beloved brothers. This term of endearment tells us something about the recipients of this letter. They were Christians. They were saved, redeemed, born again. They were fellow followers of the family of God. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. They believed in the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Yet they were susceptible to the deception about God. And guess what, my friends, this may be a shocker, so brace yourself. So are you and I, we are susceptible to the enemy's deception. Uh, The perils of unredeemed sinner is unbelief. The peril of redeemed sinner is misbelief, unbelief and misbelief. In a grief observed, C.S. Lewis writes, the thing I fear is not that I will stop believing in God, but that I might begin believing dreadful things about him. Not that I'll say there is no God, but I'll say, so what, what God is really like. That can happen to you. So be aware you are not to see about God because your view of God is everything. It dictates your action. It dictates your word, dictates how you treat others, how you love others. So make sure you understand the goodness of God and how good God is and how to stand on his word. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts in this, that he understands and knows me That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth For in these things I delight, declares the Lord So if you want to boast on something Boast about the love of God. Boast about his justice, his righteousness, all the things that how good God has been to you. Can I get a witness? Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. This term of endearment also tells us something about the author of this letter. James was very, James was clearly concerned about the truth of God being upheld. But he was also concerned about the people who were affected by error. James reminds us that our concern for what is right does not give us the license to treat people wrong. Well, let me say that again. James remind us, you and me, those who are listening, that our concerns for what is right does not give you and I the license to treat people wrong. Can I get a witness? You can win an argument but lose a soul. So we must speak the truth in love. Speak the truth, but speak it in love. Not out of revenge, not out of hatred, not out of retaliation, but speak it in love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back his sinner from his wonder will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James 5, 19 and 20. Let's talk about the goodness of God declared. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like sh- like shifting shadows. James 1, This verse highlights three attributes of God which you can place your confidence, trust at all times. Your confidence and trust at all times. If you're still with me, somebody say amen. God is good. Verse 17, a portion of verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Where do good and perfect things come from? They do not come from below or within or around. They come from above. That is, they come from the one who is above. They come from God. God is the source of all that is good. James says every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. The word every is emphatic. Everything that's good and perfect is from God. There are actually two different Greek words in this verse that are both translated gift. The terms are basically used synonymously here. But the nuance of these two terms teach us the goodness of God is seen in his acts of giving and in the nature of his gift. The giving and the nature of his gift. Can I get a witness this morning? The goodness of God is seen in the act of giving. Verse 17 speaks of every good gift. It focuses on the act of giving. Indeed, the gift of God are good, but the very act of giving by God (laughs) is good. The very act of giving by God is good. This may be an obvious point, but it's not to be overlooked. Not everything, every act of giving is good. According to 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, one may give grudgingly or of of necessity, rather than giving cheerfully. It happens during Christmas all the time. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You may give someone a gift uh, as an expression of love for him or her, or you may give a gift because they got you one or will be offended if you don't give them a gift. Can I get a witness today? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Matthew 7 and 11. The goodness of God is seen in the nature of his gift. Verse 17 states that the gift of God are both good and perfect. This is the second time James uses the word perfect in this letter. And, and let steadfast love, I'm sorry, and let steadfast have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James 1 and 4. This word perfect refers to the spiritual maturity, not the sinless perfection. Is the picture of a fully developed person who has passed from adolescence to adulthood. The trials of life are designed to nurture our faith to maturity. As the recipient of this letter underwent various trials, some accused God of tempting them to sin. James refutes this error by asserting that God only gives perfect gifts. That is the gift of God always given to build us up, never to knock us down. Uh, this does not mean that every gift of God is desirable. Comfortable or pleasurable And we know that for those who love God All things work together For the good For those who are called according To his purpose That's Romans 8 and 28 Let me tell you a story About about gifting A certain king Placed a heavy stone in the road And hid to see who would remove it The people Simply worked Their way around it Some loudly blaming the king for not keeping the highway clear. Finally, a poor peasant on his way to town with his burden of vegetables for sale came upon the stone. Laid down his load and rolled it out of the way. Then he saw a purse that had lain right under the stone. He opened it and found it full of gold pieces with a note from the king saying, It's for you who should remove this stone. So that gift was given to him. I want you to know that God is sovereign. Verse 17 states the sovereign source of all goodness. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Then it states the sovereign process by which we receive these good and perfect gifts coming down from the Father of light, whom there is no variations or shadow due to change. The verb translated coming down to the perfect part- participle that describes a continual never ending flow of God's generosity to his children. Every good and perfect gift is from God above who pours them down in a constant stream that never ceases to flow. Let me say that again. Every good and perfect gift is from God above who pours them down in a constant stream that never ceases to flow. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Hearing his wise counsel for how to respond to a test. Trials and temptation. Look up. Don't judge God by what you see around you. Look up. Your outlook is determined by your uplook. I will lift up my eyes to the heel from where it does my help. My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalms 121, 1 and 2. Verse 17 says that every good and per, every good and perfect comes down from the Father of Light. This title, the Father of Light, is a typical expression to speak of God without directly mentioning his name. Yet, this reverent this word says so much about God. The lights mentioned here refer to the heavenly lights, the sun, the moon, stars, planets, and other heavenly bodies. To say that God is the Father of these lights, to so say that God created these heavenly bodies. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Genesis 1 and 1, the heavenlies declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Psalms 19 and 1, God the Father created the heavenly lights. When scripts affirm that God is the creator, there's always an embedded theological assumption. The one who creates a thing is greater than and controls the thing that was created. God is immutable. Lord C. Douglas, author of The Robe and other novels, lived in a boarding house during college. A retired music teacher lived on the first row with whom he had daily ritual. Douglas would ask, what's the good news today? the old man would take his tuning fork and strike the side of his wheelchair and said, "Uh, that is Middle C. It was Middle C yesterday. It'll be Middle C a thousand years from now. The soprano upstairs sings off key and the piano across the hall is out of tune, but Middle C is always Middle C. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can always trust and rely on God. He never changes. God is good. The goodness of God never changes. Verse 17 says every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father light with whom there is no variations. The word variation used here is the New Testament denotes the constant change of heavenly bodies. The sun the moon stars seem to be absolutely stable from our perspective. But there are actually mutations taking place among them all the time. Variations of different kinds are constantly taking place in heaven. Not so with God. There is no variation in God. God is immutable. Our God never changes. For the Lord does not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not consumed. Malachi 3 and 6. The reason why we have not been utterly wiped out is because because God is good. Who does not change when we change on him? Let me say that again. Even though we change, God does not change. God is good. The goodness of God cannot be blocked by anything that changes. God is immutable. God never changes. God is good all the time. But the phrase shadow due to change further says that nothing that does not change can block, hinder, obscure, or eclipse the goodness of God. In other words, life may be hard and it may be difficult, but God is still good. The difficulties of life do not cancel the goodness of God. If you stand in the sun long enough, the shadows around will move. From your perspective, it seems that the sun has moved, but in reality, the planet is moving, but the sun stays right where it is. You move, the sun didn't. It's the same way with God. An old couple was riding together, reminiscing about the early days of their relationship. The wife said to her husband, do you remember when we used to sit so close that we, people couldn't tell which one of us was driving? Why aren't we close like that anymore? Her husband replied, I don't know, but I haven't moved. If God seemed far away, guess who moved? It was not God. God is good all the time. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow turning with thee. Thou changes not, thy compassion they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. The goodness of God demonstrated. A certain couple brought their young son a new bicycle for his birthday. I'm sure y'all can relate to this. It, it was very it, it was everything a, a little boy could ask for in the bike. It had all the new gizmos and whatever he wanted. it was on there. Uh, they could not wait to see how his reaction was when he opened this gift. So on his birthday they positioned, they presented the gift to him, uh, opened the box, and wheeled out the bike. Now get this, to their dismay, the little boy looked at it, smiled and began to play with the box. It took them a while to convince that young man that the bike was the gift and not the box. James did not want his readers to be so preoccupied with the outer wrappings that they missed sight on the true gift of God. So he he specifies the ultimate gift that he bestows. Of his own will, he brought forth by the word of truth that it should be kind and first fruits of his creatures. James 1 and 18. The phrase he brought us forth states the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration is a sovereign and gracious act by which God gives new lives to those who are dead in sin and trespasses. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I said to you. You must be born again, my brothers and sisters. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. John 3, 6 through 8. This is what God has done for us in Christ. He has brought us forth. This verb is the same word used in verse 15, where James says, and sin, when it's fully grown, bring forth death. Sin brings forth death, but God brings forth new life. In verse 18, the verb brought forth is a grammatical emphasis that speaks on something that has happened once and for all. That is for you are not born again and again and again. God has brought us forth into a new life once and for all. The statement emphasizes three wonderful facts about the new birth. Being dead in trespass and sin, believers do not have the will, the ability to choose God. A sinner cannot choose God any more than a dead man can choose to walk. God chooses us and God did not choose us merely because he knew beforehand that he would choose him. God brought us forth by his own will The apostle John records A a, a sad indictment Against the people of God He came to his own And his own people did not receive him John 1 and 11 God is good And So as I conclude today The ultimate thing I want you to leave here After hearing today's sermon Is that no matter where you are in life no matter what you've gone through, what, no matter what people have said you are and what you'll never be, I know a God who's able to look beyond all of our faults and see our need, and He is a good God. If I had the time to walk you through the history of my life and where I was and where God has brought me through, you would recognize just how good God it is to me. And the same God that I serve and the same God that you serve is able to do more exceedingly than we could ever ask a thing. So my dear friends, no matter where you are and no matter what you may be thinking, and you may be going through a difficult time and you may be losing sight of who God is in your life, I want to encourage you today to fight on and fight the good fight of faith. And I want you to remember that if he brought you through previous trials and tribulation, why would he not do the same on this? Uh, So don't let the devil deceive you. Don't let the devil magnify your little problems so big that you can't see the big God that is able to handle whatever comes before us. So God is a good God. Can I get a witness? And I close by saying this. If you listen to the sound of my voice, and you don't have that personal relationship with Christ, I want you to now take this opportunity to give your life to Christ. Because like me, I want you to experience the awesome power and the awesome forgiveness of a God who wipes the slate clean for us. No matter what you've done, no matter what sins in your life, He will take all the sins off of your plate. You don't have to carry that burden no more. And so wherever you are, ask God to forgive you of your sins and ask him to be your savior. And ask him to rule over your life. Accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. And you will never be the same. God is good. Well, it looks like my time has finally winded out. I am so delighted that you decided to join me today. My name is Reverend G and I hope to see you at my next episode, and I'm out.